So Money Episode 746, Ask Farnoosh with special co-host Noelia Arzola. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Welcome to So Money, everyone. June 22nd, Friday. Hope you're all enjoying the summer officially. Yesterday was uh, Evan's birthday, and this weekend will be his party. Looking forward to ringing in four years with this little guy, and he's been really excited uh, looking forward to his birthday party tomorrow with his friends. We got him a little bouncy castle. Uh, don't worry, we didn't go overboard. There was this little gym near our house and they offered this as part of the package for the birthday party. And what I've learned about kid birthday parties is that it's worth it to spend a little more so that you don't have to set up or clean up. And last year I made that mistake. I was like, I'm going to DIY the birthday party. I'm going to have this big fancy party in the in our building's courtyard and I'm going to make all the decorations myself. By the way, I had just had his sister like two months before that. So I don't know what, I mean, I'm, I always get very ambitious after I have a child, like I'm going to run a marathon. That didn't happen. Uh, so this little project of having his three-year-old birthday in our back in our building courtyard was a nice preoccupation, I suppose. But the problem was the day of this party, it was super windy and all the decorations were flying everywhere and no fun. In fact, this is how kind of crazy it got after all the kids were there. There were like 35 kids. I didn't think they were all going to show up. They did. So warning to parents, prepare to have all the people you invite to your children's birthday parties show up. It's not like a wedding where like 20% will say no. They will all be there. And it's it's windy and the kids are having a blast. But I'm, you know, in my OCD sort of just having this nightmare of an experience. The food gets there. We're like trying to get all the pizza down the kids' mouths. And then the cake, we had cupcakes. And I'm about to now disperse the cupcakes. And it was another parent who stopped me and goes, maybe we should sing happy birthday. <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, that's probably a good idea. The one thing I do think that I did well, though, that day was to hire – a friend to photograph the day, which, uh, so at least we have pictures to show. Evan looks so happy. In fact, he was so thrilled the whole time he, that by the end of it, he just kind of rested his, his whole body on the, on the ground, which, uh, one was a sign of exhaustion, but two, yeah, exhausted, excited, happy birthday. So success all around for the kids. Not so much me. Uh, that's why this year we're doing the bouncy castle and then in, uh, in, in this packaged birthday party. So I can just show up and leave and call it a day. But anyway, happy birthday to Evan. Hope you're all having some fun plans for the weekend. Today, we have a lot of questions uh, about paying off debt with your 401k, managing money once you have kids, and the realities of maybe going from two incomes to one income if, if a spouse decides to stay home. We have a question fr from a woman named Kit on Instagram who wants to talk about 
a job offer that she got and she's actually waiting for maybe another job offer and kind of at this crossroads and wants to know what to do. And so lots of interesting questions, sometimes has nothing to do with money, but more about, you know, life, career. And I love that you think that I have these answers and I try my best and, but sometimes it helps to bring on a co-host. And in this case, we have a listener joining us. As you know, I invite you to reach me and say, hey, Farnoosh, let's co-host. If you've got a bit of perspective on money, if you've, you have you yourself have achieved some financial goals and you want to maybe connect and talk about other people's questions, I would love to connect with you. And in this case, we have Noelia Arsola, who is an avid listener of So Money for now about a year or two. And she's all the way from Texas. Noelia, welcome to So Money. Hey, Farnoosh. Thanks so much for having me. This is such a, an exciting time and delight to be here um, co-hosting with you. Thank you for the opportunity. Wow. Thank you so much for being a part of the community. And you just cold reached out to me. I mean, I, I encourage everyone to reach out to me as I do on every episode, but you did. And did you think I was going to write back? I was hoping you were. I mean, I, you know, I, I understand you're busy and have all these things going on, but I thought, Hey, if she's, she's making that invitation for people, I, I think she'll reach back to me and hopefully we'll make it happen. Yeah. I'm a woman of my words. Most times, <laughs> I mean, sometimes things fall through the cracks, but I'm so excited to have you on the show because not only are you uh, a fan of so money, which I'm so grateful for, but you yourself have achieved a, a nice little, you know, so money history. In a short period of time, you paid off $6,000. You also paid off last year another $30,000. You've eliminated all of your private student loans. You run your own business. That's incredible. I know that you have started listening to the show ever since you heard me on Girl Boss Radio with Sofia Amoroso, which was an amazing opportunity for me to get on her platform and 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 obviously connect with people like you. Uh, what made you so interested in money? I think, oh my gosh, it, it's, it's, I just love money. I love talking about it. I love what it does. I love what happens when, um, you manage it well. Um, there's also consequences of not doing it well. Uh, it just, it's, it's so intricate. And I think it's, it's in everything that we do that it's important to face it on instead of, hiding from it. And in fact, one of the things that made me want to tackle those student loans was when um, I was listening to uh, Dave Ramsey and he said, oh, what are you going to do? You're not going to take care of that balance that you have. Like, be a big boy, be a big girl, take it on. You did it. You have to eliminate it and and do it. And I thought, you know, like, you don't think like that. You think that it'll take over you and it'll control you. But if you change your mentality and be, you know what, I can do this, I can handle it and just be persistent and set a goal. It felt like it was doable. Yeah. You are better than your debt. You are better than your debt. Exactly. So much of mastering your money is about your mindset. It's about feeling a certain way to be able to go out there and conquer it. Um, You mentioned Dave Ramsey. You obviously listen to podcasts. What's been... What's been helpful to you as you've been, you know, checking off your financial to-do list? I know that you come from a family, uh, your heritage is Mexico, and a lot of times on the show we talk about our upbringing, our cultural heritage, how those influences influence our financial life. So any to any degree, has that been uh, influential think- to you? 
more than my my culture, I think it was a lot of what was happening in my household. And I think um, maybe just my even DNA. I started selling since I was, I don't know, maybe about eight. And that was just because I was my inclination and my grandmother was a salesperson. And so I felt like from there it came, but I had a lot of support um, from both my parents and my dad, especially, you know, um, in middle school, for instance, I was selling candy and, um, you know, he'd go with me and, and buy the candy and be like, okay, how much are you going to sell it for? What are, how are you getting organized? And then I started saving from what I was selling so I could buy more and, you know, that kind of thing. And so that encouragement and, um, sort of him always, saying like it, it didn't even matter. I never even saw a barrier of being a woman and being able to go and do something. It was just the fact of getting over your fear and doing it anyway, like feeling that and, and doing it anyway. Selling is fear is, is one of the scariest things you can do when you're just starting out. And if you got that experience as a kid, I can only imagine the, the layers of confidence it gave you because yeah, you're basically cold approaching people. You have to sell them on this, whatever widget idea. And you have to come and come across as somebody that's really confident. You know, I interviewed a bunch of entrepreneurs as part of my gig at CNBC a couple of years ago. And it was not a coincidence that every single one of those very rich and successful entrepreneurs, whether they sold tequila or, you know, health and fitness or music, they could sell you anything, anywhere, anytime. They had this ability to sell that they could, that's why they were successful. That's why that if their businesses crashed, they could start again because they had this ability to um, convince right? It's really about convincing the other person <laughs> that they should invest or buy what you have to offer. That's a life skill. And now I think as an entrepreneur, do you say, do you think that that is like totally feeding your success? I think it is. And I think also believing in what you sell, liking what you sell and being able to establish relationships. And I think even also the way you manage those relationships, the level of professionalism that comes with it, the level of responsibility and ethic um, also weave into it and become very important because you, I mean, you even mentioned right now, yes, someone can start again from crashing and it goes back to how are you doing it? What are you doing? How much are you saving? How much are you setting aside? How much are you reinvesting in your business? And all of those elements just have a great impact, even with how, how you handle it and what you do after the sale and continuously doing that. You own an advertising design swag company and a consulting. Tell us about it. You started it about six years ago. <laughs> it's safe to say also know that you were recently a graduate from university. So I'm, I'm guessing, I'm making an educated guess that you left the, the workforce at a young age. So talk about that transition and then also talk about what you do. Well, um, it was, it was tough because I graduated thinking that I should have gone to corporate. And at the time, um, there were a lot of layoffs because of the recession. And, um, I was finally able to get a job and, and it wasn't really associated with my career, what I had studied, but I knew I wanted to start a business. And so essentially I started saving up so that I could sort of go on my own and have something to support me. And, um, once I did, it was sort of going back to 
from scratch and thinking about, you know, I have to go out on the street and knock on businesses and see what I can do. And I wanted to start selling strategy, but it really wasn't something that had much success here. It was something that you had to educate people on and then have them understand and then pay for it. So it wasn't, it, that wasn't the avenue I was going to take. So that's when swag started to come in because it still makes businesses in successful and knowing how to get certain things. It's, it's a great way to engage customers, um, sometimes make them come back for more. Sometimes it's, it's, you know, something that promotes the company or the brand without them having to pay a lot. And so, uh, I started to gain strength through that and, and then referrals and then more and more. And so that's, that's essentially how that happened. Good for you. That's incredible. You had the the moxie to leave the corporate world when few of us do. <laughs> it was hard enough for me to leave the nine to five after I got laid off. I was like, but wait, maybe I can get a job and still do some side hustling. I was just so afraid to lose my benefits. I think I think we're we're taught to go into the corporate world. I, things have changed a lot, I think, especially recently in the past decade or so. Um, and it could have been a, re- a consequence of the recession. But I feel like we are taught to or had been taught to go to school, graduate, get a job and call it a day. Yeah. And just with all those changes and what happened, it was sort of it was it was a slap on the face. And it was like, no, it doesn't work like that. You're disposable you better get it together and know how you're going to handle your life. Well, before we tackle these questions that came through uh, the various channels, I want to also ask you about how you managed to squash a large portion of your student loan debt. I know that you have both an undergraduate and a master's degree. You got a scholarship for your BA, but you got into some student loans for your master's and you still uh, are about 80,000 deep with the federal student loans, but you've eliminated all the private ones, which is great. That's a good, if you're going to create a hierarchy, that's like what to attack first. I'm assuming higher interest rates there. But how did you do that while starting a business? Not a lot of consistent income I'd imagine in the beginning. So, so take us behind the scenes. <laughs> so, um, it was, it was, a, a slow gain. And, um, first I eliminated my car debt. So I still had that hanging before I left my job. Um, yes, I had saved money, but I still had owed my car. So I, um, started to get in more income and I would separate to continue reinvesting in the business so that I could, uh, produce the merchandise. And then, uh, a portion, like a greater portion of it would go to the car. Then I eliminated the car and, um, I got really emotional thinking that I was going to be owned by student loans and, especially private ones, because there's no telling how high interest rates are going to climb because it's, it's not, it, they're, they're variable. You're not locked into one and they can change it. It can go as high as they want. And when you have a larger balance, it's just going to get out of control. So that scared me. Like it, it made me teary eyed that it would be like that. And I, I was doing nothing to, to combat that. And so I thought, you know what, let me just focus on that. And I think you say that about the mind and I truly, truly believe it. When you change your mindset and you start focusing and you start 
being more perseverant on wanting more and looking for more and getting more, you get more and being able to say, okay, I'm going to work on that and eliminate that and, and save it up and, and do something about this, um, is how that happened. So I started to get more income and I started separating more, still producing, but then also separating the extra that I had and saving it and saving it and saving it and working with a goal in mind of having, eliminating those, those, the other one, because like you mentioned, the 6,000 I had eliminated in the six months and then working on that other medium one. And so by the end of the year, I had reached my goal and then I paid it in January, but it had a lot to do with that mindset with goal setting. And then just kind of having it in the back of your mind as you're constantly working, constantly selling, constantly trying to figure out who else am I going to get, um, to buy these things? Um, what else can I do? Who else can I reach? And yeah, that's how that happened. It probably made you better at your career because now you had high stakes. <laughs> you're like, yeah. hey, I've made a goal to get out of this debt sooner than later. And so while I'm focused on that, I also need to bring in the revenue. So that's going to then make you more aggressive in your business. It's kind of goes hand in hand. And I think what we don't talk about is how hard it can become, how tired you are. And it doesn't matter how it's, it's late at night and it doesn't matter how you have to keep going. Even if you don't feel up to it, it doesn't matter because no one's going to give you anything. Like you, you have to work really hard for it. And, and it takes, it, it takes that determination. And, and it's kind of, I don't know, I, I, it's similar to sports, right? You have, you built on condition Mm -hmm. and you keep going, even though it doesn't feel like you're going to make it, or you don't know if you're going to make it, you have to keep going. And so that's where the challenge comes in as well, I think. Yeah, it's finding the ways to keep yourself motivated. So how did you keep yourself motivated? Did you tell people? Did they keep you accountable? Did you have a journal? No, no journal. Um, I think the same motivation of, of just trying to accomplish goals. Um, you know, I, I did go a lot of back and forth with my dad. We talk about, um, okay, what would be the best move now? Um, you know, is this, is this a good way to tackle this? Uh, just continue saving, just continue saving and continue thinking about what you're going to do and just keep your eye on the ball. Um, I mean, even now, honestly, the 82,000 feel really overwhelming it's like, okay, how am I going to do, what am I going to do? I have to save for retirement because it scares me to end up without anything. Right. So that, and then what is your emergency fund? Okay. And then I still have the federal loan. Okay. And then what am I going to get? Like some of your guests say, just get in the game of real estate. And I think, oh my gosh, is that the right, is it good with, you know, uh, Uh, inflation and with the market changes and with interest changes, is it better to get in now, even though it would be dead? So all these things, you think about all these things and what is the strategy? How am I going to do this? And, and so to kind of line those things up and then go after them consistently and being perseverant and then just kind of, it kind of happens. This is why I have guests like you because it reminds me of why I love my job because you're 
you're the end user. And if, if knowing that there are women and men out there like you that are so ambitious and, you know, like you're in the process, right? You're not like totally debt free, but you see the light at the end of the tunnel and you are very ambitious. And, uh, I'm, I'm very lucky to be co-hosting with you. Let's, let's tackle the questions from listeners. We have a question here from Jay. He wrote into the website at somoneypodcast.com and he wants to know whether or not to take up a loan from his 401k. A lot of 401ks offer this benefit. If you look, consider it a benefit, I don't. Uh, we'll get to that in a second. But basically, you can take out a loan against your 401k interest-free. A lot of times you have to pay back the loan within a time frame, sometimes five years, sometimes less. He's wondering, you know, he's got about $14,000 in credit card debt. Interest rate is 20%. He also has about $11,000 in an old 401k, $8,000 in a new 401k. He's also mentions living paycheck to paycheck. So I can tell that this is really stressing him out. It's weighing on his ability to budget and save. And so I would say to Jay, Noelia, chime in if you have any thoughts on this, is that, you know, I I see the 401k loan as a last ditch effort. I mean, like this is where I would say if you have medical bills that you can't pay back, that you or that you have a medical proposal, like a, a bill that's proposed to you for a surgery that you need that's like really gonna help you with your health and your quality of life. And like the only money that you can scrape together is this 401k loan. Like, okay, that's a last, last ditch effort. That's a good use of that money because it's going towards like your health and your well being. Uh, I get it. I mean, it's there for a reason. So, it, it, rather that than take out another, you know, twenty percent interest credit card um, line of credit. But if there's any way to pay off these credit cards that does not involve taking out more debt to do it, because you are taking out debt with this four hundred one k loan, and not to mention you're compromising your retirement savings. Not to mention if you don't pay back within the parameters, that it becomes it's considered an early withdrawal. Then you have to pay penalty and taxes. And so it does really compromise your retirement future. It's no secret that the big financial services partner of this podcast is Chase Slate. And why we love Chase Slate is for one of the reasons is because they offer a 0% APR. So if you want and if you qualify, you I could foresee you to transferring some of this credit card debt over to a 0% APR card like Chase Slate. But maybe before you do anything, you want to go and talk to a credit counselor. I really like the National Foundation for Credit Counseling. That's nfcc.org org. And the first meeting is free. They assess your financial situation. They'll look at your loans. They'll look at your debt. And they'll come up with a plan for you. And sometimes the plan is, you know what? Maybe you should cut back on these expenses. Maybe you can call your credit card companies and ask for a lower interest rate. They will actually offer to work with you on your behalf as your credit advocate. And there is a nominal monthly fee for that. It depends though. If you're really broke, they won't charge you. But if you can afford the, you know, $15 a month, then they'll charge you. But it's highly worth it because what they will 
do for you is call your creditors, talk about, you know, revisiting your loans, your debts, maybe modifying them, getting rid of the fees, getting lowering the interest rates. It's not debt consolidation. Um, it's debt modification. So it doesn't hurt your credit score. And, um, you know, I, I basically what I'm saying is try everything and anything but compromising your 401k loan. Look into making more money. Look into cutting costs from your budget. Talk to a credit counselor. Look into other credit cards that have a lower interest rate that offer a, a balance transfer. What do you think? And Noelia, you uh, don't, don't know if you had a 401k because you worked so few months or just a year in corporate America. But um, what do you think? So, okay. So a um, couple of things. Going back to <laughs> Slate, uh, card, the Chase Lee card. I actually did use it to pay off um, my car. So what I did was uh, your car. Wow. Yeah. So I had a balance in my car, and I didn't want to continue paying the uh, interest rate. So um, I went to the Chase Slate checks that they send at a zero percent interest rate, wrote it out, paid the car, and did it in I think about a year. I paid that that, um, money. So it was going to be paying the car essentially, but I wasn't going to be generating that interest. So, um, yeah, going back to that slate card, I think that would be a good move if it's possible. Um, but then there would also have to be some discipline as to how much time you have, because if you're going to eliminate that in 14 months, then you need to divide, you know, the amount that you have and then see how you can get maybe a side hustle where you can generate that extra income and then pay off your card. And so, you need to, Jay, analyze how serious you are about eliminating this. I think going back to what you said, Farnoosh, in terms of cutting back costs, where does this person live? Um, are they roommating with someone? Do they need to move to another city? Maybe the cost of living is too high. Um, and then seeing how they can pay extra because roughly they're, they're going to pay about 2800 with a 20% interest per year. What I had heard about the 401k loan is that you would pay back with a quote unquote fee that isn't a fee to the 401k loan service provider, but back to your 401k for having taking that loan is what I had, mm. what my understanding was. Yeah, but I, I'm not 100% sure on it that. It just depends on your 401k um you know, provider, there's all there. You got to read the fine print. You have to really know what you're getting into. It's not really free money. You know, no. it's because mm -hmm. it's at the expense of your retirement. It's at the expense of also, um, you know, your your piggy bank. Because if you don't pay it back within the required time, then it starts to be uh, penalized, and you have to pay fees and then taxes. And then to your point, in some cases, there might be a fee, sort of like a management fee or a borrowing fee. It's not called an interest rate, but there is money associated with it, depending on your on your loan provider or rather your 401k provider. So yeah, I don't think he's going to like our answer. Noelia. Yeah. I think he wanted me to say, you know what? I get it. You're, yeah. you're struggling 401k loan all the way, but uh, I'm just, I'm just really, I'm looking out for him or her. And yeah, I, I would hope that, you know, he, she explores other possibilities. Speaking of exploring other possibilities, let's move on to Katerina on Instagram, who 
has asked me about moving to a one-income household after having kids. She and her husband don't have kids yet, but they want to try in the next year. And she would like to stay home with the children to avoid daycare expenses. She goes on and says that her husband's salary is a little bit higher than hers by about 10000 a year. They both have a lot in their 401ks, but nothing in rainy day savings. Their main expense is their student loan debt, which combined is about $100,000. And if they were to try to live off of just one income alone today, they would not be able to do it, she says. So her question to me is, what should they tackle first in order to be able to one day afford living off of one income? Now, Noelia, have you any guesses what I'm going to say? <laughs> Knowing me, you've listened to the show for quite some time. I'm the, I mean, I'm, yeah. I wrote a book I, called I, When She Makes More, and I've written also about why I don't believe necessarily in stay at home parenting full time. Um, and I've gotten a lot of uh, sort of like backlash for that, and I get it. Like, it's definitely the harder road if you're asking me. Like, I think it's a lot harder to stay at home and parent all day. <laughs> and I understand also that it's economically very difficult. Childcare is often the second biggest expense after housing every single month for parents who have children in daycare or who have babysitters or nannies or a combination. So I understand the economics and how when you do the math, it's like, well, if I'm a teacher and I'm making 35000 a year and childcare is $36,000 a year or even just $25,000 a year, why am I working, right? I should be home with my kids. It makes sense financially. Also, emotionally, I get to be home with my kids. And I'm happier. I get it. I get it in the short run. And it's not to say that that is a bad plan in the short run if you don't want to work to be able to save money and be with your children. However, I would caution whoever does this, the man or the woman, because now even men are dropping out of the workforce to be stay-at-home dads, that you have a plan for re-emerging into the workforce and that before you do this, you have savings. So back to Katerina, they have debt, they have no savings. She even admitted that if now without kids, they were to live on one income, they wouldn't be able to cut it. So what does that say to me? And everyone listening, Katerina needs to have savings. And I would say about a year's worth of savings if the plan is to quit your job. You know, the traditional six to nine months, I don't think is going to hold up. You want to have at least a year's cushion because it's not just your two mouths to feed. It's also this child who's coming into the world, whose children are very expensive, childcare for one, but also the food, the diapers, uh, the uh, accessories and all of that stuff that goes along with being a parent and being a baby. I think that take your time, Katerina. I know that once you decide you want to have a kid, it's like you want to have that kid yesterday. I get it. I've been there. We had a lot of um, challenges having our first child. It is um, emotionally, I know like where she's at, it's like you want that child. And you're willing to make compromises, but don't don't make compromises with your money. You know, really make sure that you have that foundation because it will serve you when you have that baby and you'll be so much more thankful. I mean, think about all the unexpected stuff too that could happen once you have a kid. There could be unexpected medical costs. Um, what if, you got to think about the what ifs. What if, Katerina, you quit your job and then your husband gets laid off? 
You know, it could happen. So these are all that we hope it doesn't, but these are all the what ifs that maybe when it's just the two of you, you can navigate it and be strong and like, you know, suffer a little bit. But when you have a child as well, you don't want to have to have those stresses. And so to the extent that you can just save and really pay off that debt before you get pregnant, I would do it. And I know that may delay your plans, but it will just be a better environment, financial environment, also emotional environment. You're not going to be stressed out to have that child. And if you can, you know, really map out your plan for re-emerging into the workforce, because I bet you're going to want to get back somehow, some way. I mean, your child's going to not be home all his life. He or she will go into school and be in school from nine to three or longer. And a lot of parents, I know, they, they stay home for the first year or two, and then they're itching to get back in. And if they haven't had anything on their resume for two years, that's going to be a challenge. So that's my two cents. What do you think? Did I leave anything out, Noelia, or am I totally wrong? I think, no, I completely agree. That's how I had figured it out as well. You know, half eliminate your student loan, half save more. Uh, We don't know her age. uh, So we don't know how much time, you know, she has but I, I think that it's just best to to wait a little bit and sort of feel prepared. What you talked about, the stressors are, are a huge thing. Um, you know, sometimes they'll, what if you end up resenting the child because it was you wanted to have the kid yesterday. And and then you have all these other factors that come in about what you said. You don't know what if he gets laid off and she's not working. And then also the money she's going to lose. You know, I think it's what, a hundred bucks a day for not contributing to her 401k because she wouldn't be working and staying at home. There's um, actually a calculator online. I'll put it on the site for the cost of opting out of the workforce. It's the cost, the money you're going to lose, not just in your bank account today and as you're trying to reacclimate into the workforce because you will suffer generally and on average a pay cut for the lack of work in your recent uh, work history. But also those are years you're not contributing to your 401k, like you mentioned, not contributing to social security. Mm -hmm. And that is going to have a long-term compounding effect on your future net worth. So, mm-hmm. you know, not to scare you and not to say that money is the only thing that matters because it's not, but it, <laughs> but it uh, puts things in perspective for sure. Mm-hmm. Yep. Totally agree. All right, Katerina, thank you for your question. She actually reached out to me on Instagram and I did warn her and I said, look, if I'm going to give you some advice on the show, uh, but if, if there's one thing I'll leave you with here on Instagram, it's, you know, really reconsider leaving the workforce. You know, I think that that this this math that she's doing now, this shorthand math, this back of the napkin math. Well, I make ten thousand dollars less than my husband. I'm the lower earning spouse. Usually, it is the woman who's making less. I mean, let's be honest, because we live in a society where women make less than men on average. And so, if that's the math we're using, then we're I feel like we're uh, we're wrongfully assuming that women are are the the best ones to opt out of the workforce. No. Typically, when women and men are in their like child-rearing years, they're in their like early 30s, mid-30s, they still have a lot of years left to work and a lot of years left to earn. They haven't even reached peak salary. So if you're leaving the workforce at this stage, think about all the money you're leaving on the table. Um, And that's not just money for money. It's money to support your life. 
And it is also true that households with a single income are more financially vulnerable. They're more prone to separation and divorce and money fights because it's stressful. One income is these days, it's really tough to muster. So uh, again, not to scare you or to sound biased, but I'm just being really practical and just trying to inspire you to think that it is possible to be a mother, to work, to be present for your family, to be present in your career, to be present for yourself. I'm doing it. And it's not always like rainbows and cotton candy every day, but it's, it is for me a life that I could not live without. And I'm so grateful for the hard choices that I made that are now giving me an easier path in some ways. So if you want to talk more about this, listen, I could talk about it. I could do a whole podcast <laughs> series on this and I, maybe I will if there's enough interest, but. And um, I, I have one, one, one more comment. If she's feeling insecure about this, there's a reason behind it. Yeah. There's a reason that she's feeling doubtful. And I think that deep down inside you, when you feel that, that little, little fear, then you're not ready. There's something happening there that you need to tackle mm. first before you can move on to the to the next phase. So maybe she should ask herself that. Why are you calling Farnoosh on Instagram? Yeah, that's that's probably a good good soul searching question. Well <laughs> deep inside, you know, that hmm. there's things that need to be taken care of before before she moves on to that. And and maybe that's not the answer. I mean, what's the rush anyway? Hmm. Katerina, get in touch with me. Let me know what you think. We love you for asking this question. I know that this is on a lot of people's minds. But now Kit, also on Instagram, switching gears to salaries and negotiation and job offers. She just graduated from grad school last week. Congrats, Kit. And she said she got a job offer working for the government. It is not the dream job, but it would pay the bills. She got the offer recently as in well, she wrote to me yesterday. It's longer than yesterday now because I'm reading the question days later. But uh, bottom line is they are rushing her to decide. They want her to, to decide. The government job wants her to decide in a few days. She does think that she's on the short list for her dream job, but won't know for a few more weeks. And so asking us, is it crazy to hold out for the second job? Keeping it transparent, I think, is the is the is at this stage they've offered you the job. You know, people get afraid sometimes, like, oh, if I ask for things, or if I ask for more money, or if I ask for more time, they're going to rescind the job offer. No, <laughs> they've invested a lot of time and effort in identifying you as the best candidate. They don't want to lose you, and if it means another seventy two hours so that you can think things through and you can go and like you know, talk to the necessary parties, they should be able to afford that at this point and understand too, you know, this is not a dead job market. There are people, you know, unemployment rate is at historical lows. So that's what I would say. What do you think? I mean, you're an employer now, sort of, you know, Noelia, and if you were offering someone a job and they said, Hey, can I have a few more days to think it out? Would you say, sorry? Um, in a way, because then that means that I'm not their first choice. And so what kind of fit are we going to have, you know, but because we're looking at it from her perspective, I feel like I'm going to her dream job and say, you know, that she loves it, that she really wants to be part of it. What, what is it that they're looking for to make that happen? And I think right then and there, 
she'll know what the truth is. is it yes. So if I can that amend was- my answer based on what Noelia said, I would say first go to your dream job and say, I got this offer. Don't you know? reply back to the offer. Be like, thank you very much. I will get back to you as soon as possible. Then mm-hmm. go to the dream job and say, I got this offer. You know, I would prefer to work here if you would like to hire me or like to c- continue talking. Like I would appreciate knowing. Yeah, and, you know, yeah. and have her say why? Why this is my dream job? Why this is what I can offer? This is what I'm going to do different for you. This is why I want to be here. What do I need to do to make this happen? You know, and maybe maybe the employer will be appreciative of that move from her and say, you know what? Okay, let's do this. And if not, then she'll know there, and then she'll have a job to to back her up. Great advice. All right. So good luck and congrats, Kit. I mean, it's kind of a good place to be in. You've got a job offer, another one possibly pending. And here's also what I'll say. When you graduate from college or grad school, rarely is your first job your dream job. Raise your hand if you just took the job for the money and or just like for the experience for the money, but it wasn't like the dream. Mm -hmm. Usually that's the second, the third it's when you become the entrepreneur. So don't let that be the, if that's all, all that's like weighing you down, like just real, just know there's more, mm-hmm. there's more down the road. There's more down the yellow brick road and that there are other, sometimes we get blinded by a job because it doesn't look quite like the dream job. You know, we're like, oh, how, how great could it be? It's not perfect. But there's probably other benefits that you will discover once you're there. But I can tell you from experience that sometimes it's like the people you'll meet, the challenges you'll face, um, the failures you'll experience. Like failing at the job that's not your dream job is better than failing at the dream job. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, I've cried in a lot of bathrooms at jobs that weren't perfect. And that was okay. But, you know, it prepared me for that dream job where I had I had more strength, I had experience, I knew what not to stress out about, and I could enjoy finally now that I was at my dream job. So uh, just some perspective uh, for you there, Kit. Amy has this question, which I love, comes on Facebook, and I think, Noelia, you could offer her a lot of advice. She says, how do you learn to enjoy your money while also being mindful about saving? So you going back to your endeavor of getting out of private student loan debt and you know, you talked earlier about having to really work on the business while working on your debt um, repayment efforts. How did you also you know, enjoy your money while you were doing all of that? Yeah, this is this is a good one because I love clothes. So it's it's tough because I love it. But yet you have all these other things that need to be taken care of. So I would say set aside the highest amount you can possibly do without feeling uncomfortable. So, you know, if you have a thousand per week, let's say, and, and you feel okay setting aside 600, then enjoy the rest you know, buy yourself what you need to get, um, take care of the things that you need to take care of without feeling guilty because you know that you've set aside the most that you could. Yeah. I always say, I agree with that, that, you know, once you kind of take care of the boring stuff, (laughs) um, then, then, and if there's money left, like enjoy it to the last penny, Mm -hmm. you know, with, within reason. But if you've paid, if you're paying your debts off on schedule, if you're saving first, both for a rainy day, you're investing for your future, you're putting money back into your business in your case, and you still got an extra $200 a month, 
well, then go have a nice dinner and then some or go buy that dress, you know? And so it's important, like even what you said earlier, I didn't forget, Noelia, you were like, it's important to keep motivated and sometimes spending periodically on those even whatever, call them material things, whatever gives us like that short-term thrill and a Mm -hmm. reminder of why we work so hard for our money to be able Mm -hmm. to enjoy those small moments. Then, And if you can afford that, then do it. I completely encourage people to do that. I think there's, we can sometimes get on this like savings journey that is important, but sometimes we lose perspective. Like it's not just about saving money. In fact, I had on Vicki Robin on the podcast and she's the author of the multi-bestseller, Your Money or Your Life. And I talked to her about like, I think it was when she was answering about her biggest money failure, but she revealed that she got so myopic about saving and frugality that it almost kind of backfired. You know, she started to see how it really affected her happiness and her life where she was penny pinching and like just focusing so much on the savings part of the equation that she wouldn't give herself some of the pleasures of spending and going for the splurge and paying a little bit more for a little bit more comfort or, you know, luxury. And she's like, you know, it wasn't, that was not smart. I don't, I don't espouse to that. It just some kind of happened because it became she became so consumed with saving. Funny yeah. enough, I mean, just it's something I want to say. I know, and and I am gonna. Uh, there's a lot of people that focus so much on saving that they say that they'll eat beans and rice, and that's all they'll eat, and they won't go out or have like twenty bucks a week for you know a couple of drinks, and and um, they, a lot of people, especially, espouse to that kind of lifestyle when they're doing the. Um, Retire, retire early. That fire with fire, financial independence, early retirement, early or something. Yeah. And you know what? No, I don't agree. (laughs) And I I was going back and forth with that because I thought, you know what? Should I do that? Like that's the right way to do it because no, you're punishing yourself. Like we're living right now. This is what's happening right now. Yeah. You're, 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 what are you eating? I mean, how are you helping your body? How are you, how are you, what's the movement? How are you feeling? That has so much to do with it. Are you feeling okay with, with what you're wearing? Are you feeling okay with how you're presenting yourself to the world? Are you feeling like you can conquer? Are you feeling motivated? Are you, are you, you know what? Those things are important. They matter because you're treating yourself and you're the one that's living right now. We, yes, we say for tomorrow. Yes, we're getting ready for, you know, things that might happen, but the present is what, what's making this happen. And if you're not feeling okay, then you're not going to execute how you need to execute. So I think most definitely you need to, you need to be able to enjoy life and, and not torture yourself by, all these other ideas that sometimes just make you miserable and even make you sick sometimes. Yes. You got to feel okay to execute wise words. And and I would say, you know, just to give you something a little more like tactile to work with from this, from our answers here is like, do the envelope system, like take out $50 every two weeks or whatever you your budget allows. I'm not going to assume you can do $50 every two weeks. Maybe you can do more. Um, that's great. But like figure out what your splurge budget is. It's like Weight Watchers points, right? Maybe you don't use them all in one week or in every two weeks, but they accumulate. So if it's like $25 a week and you didn't use your splurge account that week, then the next week, then you have 50 to work with. And then I think it could be fun and, and um, 
And a reminder of why you work hard is like have that that license to spend, making sure you're taking care of all the boring stuff first, all the important stuff first, and then put with whatever's left, like have at it. You you deserve yeah. it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was good. All right. I'm going to wrap us up here and say thank you to our listeners who submitted questions, Amy, Kit, Katerina, and Jay. Please follow up with me. I mean, I want to know how this advice helped you, if you still have questions, if you feel like I was totally off base and whatever, just I want to keep connected. So I appreciate that you reached out once, but keep it coming. And Noelia, thank you so much for joining us on the show and um, being so such a great partner as we tackle to these questions and tell us what you have planned this summer. Anything fun? Thank you so much for, for letting me be part of this, Varnoosh. I really appreciate it. I was so excited <laughs> and am excited that I was a part of today's show. Um, no, just working. Just working. <laughs> just working. That's, that's all I have planned for this summer. Working, working. Well, how can we help you? Is there anything that our audience or I can do for you? Buy products. <laughs> buy, <laughs> buy swag. Buy swag. Okay, start yeah. a business and then buy swag from Noelia. There you go. Exactly. Um, you can visit my website at n-aconsulting.com if you guys want to visit and see any of the merchandise that we have to offer. Um, but no, other than that, um, maybe well wishes and so that we can continue moving forward and being successful and doing the best that we can with everything that's presented to us. Well, wishing you continued success. And hey, everybody, I hope your weekend is so money. <laughs> <laughs>